Shall we humble our hearts in a word of prayer? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for allowing us once again to gather around your word. We thank you for a beautiful spring morning. We thank you that we can have this privilege. We ask for your continued blessing that we could gather and fellowship around your word in freedom and in openness. We ask that you would lead our nation, lead our government. We ask that you would bless us with leaders who would be looking to you for guidance. We ask that you would be with each of us, that you would give us faith, that this morning your spirit would open this word and that it would open our hearts to hear that word and that we could be refreshed and that we could be given that assurance that you are with us and that you know all things. We ask these things in Jesus' name, who's taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Should we continue with 336? <laughs>
May we be greeted this morning with greetings of grace and mercy and peace from God our Heavenly Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. For a text this morning, I will turn to the book of 1 Kings, excuse me, to the 19th chapter. I will read. Verse 8 verses. Reading in Jesus' name. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also. If I have not thy, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Rise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink, and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Amen. This is a fairly familiar portion of scripture. Maybe where I took the text isn't quite as familiar as what is around it, perhaps. <clears throat> we, we know that Elijah, he was a prophet in Israel, basically. And at the time when this is recorded, Jezebel, or I mean, sorry, yeah, well, Jezebel, Ahab is the king of Israel. Je- Jezebel is his wife. <clears throat> and just before this, it's recorded in the previous chapter that the Spirit speaks to to Elijah and he goes and he tells he meets Obadiah and he tells him to go and tell Ahab that he will appear to him and he meets with Ahab and he tells him to gather all the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel and that happens and then Basically, Elijah, I'm sure we all know this, but Elijah tells them that there's two animals you take and you sacrifice and call on your God and I will 
make a sacrifice and call on God. And whoever's God answers with fire is who we will follow. And the people agreed with that. And we know that the prophets of Baal, they offered their sacrifice and they got quite demanding about it, if you say, quite wild with how they were trying to get an answer and we know nothing happened. Elijah, and there's definitely spiritual meaning in all of this, even the sacrifice was the evening sacrifice which is offered for the sins of the people. And that's when Elijah offers it. We know that he built an altar according to how God says and offered the sacrifice on it. And he even offered, he pours water upon it so that it was soaking wet and it says that it even filled a trench around it. And then came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. It was done at the proper time. But we know that God answered with fire and burnt up the sacrifice and even burnt up the water that was in the trench around it. Elijah then tells the people to take those prophets of Baal and to slay them. And that is what is done. And we know that at this time, Israel was in the midst of a, a drought, which had led to famine. And it had been three and a half years that it had not rained. And Elijah goes to the top of the mountain and he prays. And God answers that prayer and he even tells Ahab that you better get going back to the castle because there's going to be so much rain and, and it rained heavily on them. And the reason that I went through all of that basically is because for me reading it, it's like this man Elijah and obviously he did. He experienced the power of God on a first-hand basis very directly. And he saw the answer to his prayers very clearly. And if you say quickly, he says he went up and he prayed, and he did pray seven times, but he told his servant to go look, and he said there's a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And he said, tell them that go tell Ahab, that it's going to rain. He was used by God. He was a man of, and a prophet of God, of one of the ones that there's recorded, if you say, more miracles that he was given the power to do. And yet, in the first part of this text, it tells us that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword, then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. 
We know, and it happens after this, that Ahab again sends soldiers, sends 50 men in the company to take Elijah. And Elijah calls down fire from heaven again and it burns them up. And yet, here in Jezebel, says that she is going to kill him, says he runs for his life. And as we go down through our text here, we see that he was having obviously a time where he was feeling like he had run out of, I don't know what word to use, energy. He was low. I guess the first thing that comes to mind, we see that Jezebel here, as soon as she sees what, well obviously Ahab had told her all of those happenings. How that those prophets of Baal, which it tells us that 450 of them, Jezebel, she kept at the palace and feeds them. They were basically living under her care. And we know if we read through all of this account here of Ahab, that she was not a Israelite. She was of the, uh, sorry, my mind won't bring what, where she was from. Phoenicians, maybe, yes. And she came and she brought her gods with her. And she turned the heart of Ahab even more away from God than he was. And yes, she was an evil woman. But my mind, and it, I guess, maybe it's just me that needs reminding of it so often, because, I mean, here is an example. We can turn to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, and we see another example of where God moves powerfully and does things that my natural mind, they're, I don't know if we call them disasters or miracles or whatever, however we want to look at them, but God brought on those Egyptians great plagues. And they saw them. And yes, Pharaoh's heart with many of them was temporarily, I don't know if we could say it was softened, but he recognized that he was dealing with something and he decided, well, it may be his best to let those people go. But then very quickly he would turn back and say, no, you're, you're going to stay and be slaves. And we see that it was only in that sacrificial lamb and that blood being spread and the firstborn being slain that they were able to come out of Egypt, which is a picture of Christ. Another, I guess, example of what strikes me here is, and I guess I should maybe say what it is, is that my mind says that surely even Jezebel, if she heard of those happenings, and obviously she believed it, and how God came down with fire to burn up the sacrifices, that surely maybe her heart would be softened and she would maybe look to God. I guess, as I said, another 
example of that comes to mind when Jesus rose again from the dead. Those soldiers, they knew that he had risen from the dead. They knew that he was dead and had been put in the tomb. And they saw, it says there was a great earthquake and the stone was rolled away by an angel. And yet, they didn't believe in Jesus. Or it doesn't appear that they did. My mind wants to think that we see things happening. And I would like to think that, well, if some miracle would come or something powerful, if God would move powerfully in this world, that people would turn to him. And perhaps they will temporarily. I remember hearing after the towers were struck on 9-11 that, yes, the people that went to church increased dramatically for a period of time. It is how we are as people. Our human nature, when it feels overwhelmed, it looks for something and, and it will turn to God. But if there isn't those problems there, if there isn't some devastation going on, very quickly we turn back to our own abilities. We don't really need God anymore. And as Christians, it is our desire that hearts would be actually turned to God. And that only happens through Christ. It is something that no amount of anything else can do. But when that spirit works in a heart, and that message of what Christ has done is made real to a heart, then is when faith is what that heart goes on. And it is what we would, <clears throat> why we encourage people to believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe in that forgiveness that is available through his blood. Believe that salvation is waiting to those who are children of God. <clears throat> and then, yes, we are still human and perhaps in hard times we turn more diligently to God, even though we know that it shouldn't necessarily be that way. We should constantly be diligently seeking God. And the truth for, I believe, and I say it often, that it is when times are good that it is perhaps the most dangerous as a Christian. Because it has that feeling that we can do this on our own. We don't need God's help. And maybe in some senses we don't need God's help in the natural sense. There's work and we're getting paid good and there's lots of food and we have a house and all these things and things are going along. And perhaps to some extent to our natural reasoning, yes, we can do it on our own. But the truth of the matter it is at those times 
that we probably should be turning to God that he would give us wisdom of how to use those blessings properly. That we would continue to turn to him and seek his guidance with how to use these blessings. And even that we would turn to him thankful. It tells us there in the beginning of Romans that one of the very first things that started on a bad downhill slide for those people was the lack of thankfulness. We live in a world where in reality we have so much to be thankful for. I mean, first and foremost is that knowledge of Christ and the salvation he provides. And then the ability to gather freely and openly. And then all the natural blessings of food and shelter. And and it is almost amazing to me how sometimes if I don't think about it hard, and it shouldn't be that way, but it is, it seems like, oh my goodness, there's nothing good to be thankful for. And yet, there is. And I think it is good for us that we would even take that time. And I believe it is part of where we are encouraged there to be still and know that God is God. That part of that is to be thankful and to recognize what we have to be thankful for. And we don't have to look very far in the world or even sometimes just down the road to see that there are many blessings that God has given us that we should need to be thankful for. And and even this morning, it's, as I mentioned, a beautiful spring morning. And yes, there's lots of work that could be done. There's lots of fun things that we could do. And yet, here we come to sit and hear the word of God. And if that is something that we find that there is importance in our life, let us be thankful to God for that. Because it is not something that our natural flesh is inclined to do. And it is part of even where it tells us that we die daily, speaking of this flesh and what it desires. And we look to something that is beyond a good morning or a bad morning or a good day or a bad day. It is eternity where there is no time. And here we find that Jezebel, even with all those miracles, And all the power that God displayed for a lot of people to see. It didn't turn her heart to Christ. It turned her heart to anger and and wanting to destroy Elijah. I believe it's in Peter where it tells us 
I can find it here. But it tells us that we're not to be not to be surprised that um, if the world the world is against us, and Jesus Himself even tells us that if this is what they're going to do to the well to Him, what can we expect any better? Oh, here it is. This is in John. So it says, "Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you." So we see an example of Jezebel. She was not turned to God. It made her angry. And basically, if I put it in simple terms, yes, Elijah, he had obviously turned people's heart towards God. And he had destroyed prophets that she obviously put value in. And yet it just caused anger that here was a man who was being obedient to God. To God who she wanted to destroy. It's a, an amazing thing if we read especially as a Christian, the message that Christ brought. He didn't bring a message of anything but loving, I mean, put very simply, the golden rule, love thy neighbor as thyself. And God, with all our heart, basically do unto others as you want them to do to you. Turn the other cheek. All these kinds of things. He healed people. He forgave people. And yet, human nature found it in them that they wanted to destroy that. And we as Christians... We find in the world, and it's getting to be more and more, and I have to say that's one thing that I'm thankful for even where I live. It's, if I say we're a step or two behind mainstream society, thankfully, we don't have to on a day-to-day basis face so much (coughs) opposition to that message of Christ as there is in lots of circles that I don't necessarily have to go in all constantly. And it is something to be thankful for. But if we read the Bible, it's not surprising. And I can't speak for for Jezebel, but obviously it made her upset. And that message of Christ, it upsets people. And it is something that it, I guess it adds credence to what God says, that human nature is just plain contrary to God. We with our natural minds, we understand that 
These things that Christ taught, they're good. It's good to feed people. It's good to heal people. And there's lots of people in the world today that that's what they want to do. They want to take and even go over where this war is going on and help people. And there is nothing wrong with it. But our human nature can even see that there's nothing wrong with it. And yet when it comes from Christ, it makes them angry. The Pharisees in that, they saw him heal heal a number of times and they got to witness it. The people got to witness it. And I don't quite understand exactly the fullness of the why. But several times Jesus did it on the Sabbath day and that immediately made them upset. But then the fact that instead of them turning their hearts and saying, well, maybe there's something here that we should look at, it just made them angry that, oh, perhaps we're going to lose some of the people are going to turn to this. It's how we are as humans. And so the fact that Jezebel got angry and was going to destroy and wanted to destroy Elijah, it shouldn't be a surprise to us. I think in Peter there, it mentions that we're not to be surprised at the great trials that we face. I I put it this way, and it's just my terminology, but I've said to people that Jesus came, walked perfectly, and they found enough wrong with that to crucify him. I am so far from perfect, what on earth should I expect? And yet, my mind, and I think, to be honest, we have to acknowledge that when we walk as a Christian, yes, there is blessings. And sometimes those blessings are things that, yes, appeal to the natural flesh. But sometimes those blessings are things that are for the spiritual side. And perhaps it puts a bit of a cramp on our natural flesh. But there is great blessings when we walk as a Christian. But we see that Elijah was just as human as the rest of us. And I'm sure we all know this, but it is one of the things that, I guess to me, it is makes the Bible different enough from most other books, is that all these men that are recorded in the Bible here, from David, Adam, Noah, Elijah, Elisha, and I could go on naming all of these men. And yes, it is recorded that God used them powerfully. They were men of God. But they were also humans, and they had their failings. And it isn't that we would then focus on those failings, but it I believe, oftentimes gives us hope. Because I can't in any way claim to have done anything near 
as, if I would say, powerfully from God as what Elijah did just prior to where I read in this text. Call fire down from heaven and, and pray and rain comes after three and a half years. And yet I can very much relate with the fact that there's things in this life that scare me. And that there's things that it just feels overwhelming and and I've been at this place where he sits down and he requests for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And I'm sure most, if not all of us, can relate to being in that place. And then we read even to the end of the text here, and if I would have carried on, then there's the story, the account of Elijah when he's on the mountain, and he's there, and there's wind and an earthquake and fire. God displays power, but says God is not in those things. And then there's a still small voice, and, and that voice brings him a message and tells him what's going to happen. And he carries on, and then he's taken up into heaven, and he's only one of two people recorded in the Bible that they didn't die in the natural sense. He was obviously a special person. He was given an abundance of the Spirit. And yet he had times... Or because one woman, and granted she was the queen and had power, but even the king, when he sent soldiers, he couldn't, they couldn't take Elijah. But Jezebel threatening, and he runs for his life. And it, I can look at it, I guess, or my mind does look at it in two ways. It's like, wow, that's hard to believe. That he did all these things. Jezebel says she's going to kill him and he just tucks tail and runs and hides. But then also my mind can look at that and say, I have not experienced doing those things and yet things even far less scary than the queen saying that she was going to try to kill me. And I feel like running and hiding or perhaps I have. And we have those low times where it seems like this life is so overwhelming that we would pray this same prayer or have this same thought in our heart that God just take me home. I'm sick of dealing with what I have to deal with in this life. God doesn't get after him for that. Sometimes we can feel like life is too much and, and the devil will bring the thought that, well, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't get like this. You should be so good and holy if you're a Christian that you just go along and everything is wonderful. And if there's some little problem, it's nothing because 
of how you are because you're such a wonderful Christian and obviously you're not. There must be some problem in your life that you're feeling this way. You're probably not really in faith. It doesn't, that message, it doesn't come from God. We see what God does here. He was so wore out that he lay and slept under a juniper tree. And what happens? It says, below then, and behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. The next thing that Elijah knew was he was being encouraged to come and take sustenance that you would be strengthened even naturally. But obviously before this time, it says um, that there was a cruise of water at his head and a cake baking on the fire. And he's encouraged to eat. It says, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. God was patient with him. He didn't just say, get up and eat and carry on. To me, it, it strikes me as it's done very gently and kindly. The angel, it says, just touches him and says, come eat. He's given food. And then given time to rest again. And then the angel says, comes the second time and touches him and says, rise and eat. Because the journey is too great for thee. He was provided enough. And he was given the time to recover, if I say. And, now this is just, I don't know if I can turn to it, but this thought pops in my mind. I mean, even seeing him here, and I say, <clears throat> lots of times, just my natural mind, maybe, I don't know. It says that, or it thinks that it would be wonderful to be and get these visions and some of these things that these prophets that you read about in the Old Testament and and maybe it would be but just the other day I happened I was trying to turn to it um, in Daniel and Daniel is given a vision of, of what is going to happen and it tells us that when it was all done, that he um, was sick and on his bed for several days. And I think it gives us a little picture of how much above us God is. <clears throat> Even just a vision from God and it's overwhelming to this flesh. <coughs> and we know that even in the natural sense, that's how we are. We have something that's maybe a big occasion and important, and we put lots of energy in it, and we deal with it, and when it's done, we kind of have a crash, so to speak. And perhaps this is partially what has happened here with Elijah. God still cares for us in those times. And he will provide what is necessary 
even in the natural sense, and more so in the spiritual sense. It says that after he ate those things, he arose and went in the strength of that forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. He's given the strength to travel for forty days from this, and it seems a miracle, and it is. And then we see, if I would have carried on there, and I already mentioned it, that God deals with the spiritual side too. God takes care of both our natural and our spiritual needs. And as his children, we see here that Elijah was feeling very low. And God uplifted him. God cared for him. But it it shows a bit of the difference of walking by faith and walking by feelings. I'm sure that he was at a very different place mentally and feelings-wise when he was here sleeping under the juniper tree or just before that when he was praying that God would take him than he was when he was calling down and saw fire coming down from heaven. But we see the difference here of a person who's living by faith. We know in the world, and it's even recorded in the Bible, that there's people, and the one maybe that's the most obvious is Judas. He did what he did, and then when it all came out, it says that he went and killed, hanged himself, he killed himself. I'm sure that the devil would have wanted to bring that message even to Elijah's heart, that your things are so bad that you might as well just kill yourself. And yes, Elijah asked that God would take his life, But he still trusts in God. And that is where he turned to, even to make that request. He turns and and says, this is what I would want, God. God, in his wisdom, he doesn't just take him then. And he very well could have, because we know that if we read on a few more chapters, God comes and he does just take Elijah. But no, he still had more that he was to do. God will be with us. If we turn to him, whether things are good or bad, we should turn to God. We see with Elijah that when things were good and he turned to God, things happened powerfully. When things were low, he turned to God, and God sustained him and uplifted him. He tells us that God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The power that God had to sustain Elijah hasn't changed. The fact that we as people have down times and up times hasn't changed. God will be there. 
And we would not want the devil to bring that message, well, you're feeling low. God must have turned his back on you. Even if we're at the place where we would want to leave this world because things seem so bad. God is there. And he will provide a lifting for the natural. And he will provide for our spiritual side also. And I pray that he would give us faith each day to remember that and to trust in that. Jesus said, I will be with you till the end of the world. And obviously the world hasn't come to an end yet, so he is still with us. He is here and he cares. May he give us faith today and each day as we walk. And encouragement. And my mind goes again to John, I read in First John this morning. And there was a place in there that I read where it says that it says, Whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And if we read that First John, we see that John is speaking and talking about love and how important love is. And he said, if we don't do this, the love of God isn't in us. And something struck me about this. It says, but whosoever hath this world's good. It doesn't say good. We very often, and it's talked about charity and giving to certain charities that poor could be taken care of and given food and all that kind of stuff. And it is good. And right, right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there was trouble in the back. But, um, it isn't just goods. There's other things that we have in this life that are good and helpful to others. And if we have that ability, we are encouraged to do it. It isn't just giving things. Maybe it's giving us. And it says that if we see that someone has need of something good that we have the ability to give, and we shut up, um, shut up his bowels of compassion, the love of God doesn't dwell there in that heart. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. But let us not quench it. So as I read there in about Elijah, and yes, God sustained him, and he does. And in that case, it says he used an angel. And many times, I think if we read in the Bible, we can see that when an angel is used for something, we could almost put in the thing that a message from God. Because that's what they bring, is a message from God or something like that. So I think oftentimes God uses his children 
to bring that message of encouragement or whatever is needed to us. And I think we probably most or all of us have experienced that. That God has used someone to uplift us, to encourage us, to correct us perhaps. It is Him caring for us. Even when we are down, we feel like He is not very near perhaps. He is. He has promised that He will be. And we can trust his promises. God is sure to his word. He will care for us. He will be with us. And heaven is awaiting us as his children. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we humble our hearts and receive the benediction? May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Should we close with 